Thanks for checking out the Refuge Official Podcast. Wherever you're from, we hope that this message will encourage you and help you grow in your relationship with God. Now, here's one of our leaders, Tyler Rice. Um, In worship this morning, what is on my heart is you are so worthy. Scripture says that God did not withhold his only begotten son for you. For your sins to wash them away, wash away the guilt, wash away the shame, the condemnation. You are worthy to God. Worthy. In the world, I feel like it's been telling some of you that you're not worthy, that you're not good enough, that you don't have value. Let me tell you that before the creation of the world, he knew you. Before you were in your mother's womb, he knew you. He loves you and he cares about you and he has a plan and a purpose for your life. And that's just what was in me during worship this morning is someone needs to hear that you are worthy and he loves you so much that he gave his only begotten son to die for your sins. Blessed be the name of Jesus because it's only by the name of Jesus that one can be saved. Woo! Give him praise in the house. So my, my message this morning is titled, The Disciplined Life. Sometimes I feel like we wrestle with being disciplined because it doesn't always feel good. It's pretty easy to veg with some chips on the couch and just surf the channels. But it takes discipline. And so I looked up a couple definitions of discipline. The first one was training to act in accordance with rules. We all know the rules that kind of God originally gave to people to say, this is how I created you and intended you to live, and that was the Ten Commandments given to Moses. And that was like God's first way of speaking to us. These are the rules that I've called you to live by if you want to live that fullness, that life that I have created you to live. It's not to hinder us, but to, but to bless us. It's like, I can't even go there. It will take too much time. So it says, the second one is activity, exercise, or a regimen that develops or improves a skill. Sometimes I think, you know, walking this Christian life, we don't really realize that we're honing a skill. But it's like the flow of the world is trying to, like, wash this way. And the skill that's being perfected and honed in us is the very nature of Christ, the hope of glory in us. And so every day he is honing that skill. See, because that created person, that value that I was speaking to you just a minute ago, that eternal purpose that he sees when he looks at you, that value that he sees, he's chiseling off all that garbage off of it so that the true statue can come through. I think it was, who's the guy who did the Sistine Chapel ceiling? Michelangelo. So when he carved out, I believe, that statue of David, they were like, well, how did you see David in that chunk of stone? And he's like, he's like, I really didn't try to like put him into the stone. I saw him in there, and I just carved him out. He carved off the other stuff that wasn't a part of who David was in that statue. And that's what God's doing to us. And so it's that skill that he's improving with discipline when he rebukes us and when we are disciplined in our daily lives, in our regiment, to hone that nature of Christ in us. Third is... Punishment inflicted by way of correction and training. And I think there's a lot of maybe negative ideas about that word punishment. But it's necessary for a way of correction and training. Because if, like, 
if you mess up and you step out of bounds, you know, we have coaches and mentors, leaders, pastors who are there to get us back in bounds and say, nope, we're going to try again. And it's, so it's important to have discipline in our life. Synonyms for disciplined are structured, systematic, tidy, together, well-regulated, by the book, deliberate, and efficient. And so my initial thought was, man, what a boring life, if that's like what you think of. But, hallelujah, that God hasn't called us to live this boring, mediocre life, because it's out of joy that those things are accomplished. It's not just a work that we do. We're not just disciplined or by the book to like get somewhere, but it's out of that joy and that peace that he's given us that those things are accomplished. It's always going to him first that produces that honed skill, that nature of Christ in us, that discipline. Well, the scripture that I picked kind of to be like the focal point of the message was in Hebrews 12, 5 and 6. Hebrews 12, 5 and 6. And it says, it's in the New American Standard Bible. It says, "And and you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. So let me just tell you, if you're being disciplined, look at what the scripture says. It says, you have been approved as a son, a daughter. He loves you. So that's a sure sign that he loves you, and by the blood you have been approved. You're in there. So give him praise that he's correcting you, and his hand is there to nurture you. Um, that, that phrase in the beginning that says, do not regard lightly, so to regard is to like put emphasis on. I think really what the author is saying is, you know, don't undervalue the discipline of God. And I think about it like, think about those things in your life, whatever it is, it's different for everybody. Those things that you value. Those things that you really value and put importance on, like you put, a, you invest a lot into those things, and you value them, you take care of them. So really feel like what he's saying is if we can get the proper value that God has placed on his correction and his discipline, that will allow us to truly get everything from it, to value it the way that it ought. And it says, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. I don't Sometimes I feel like we can have like a bad rub about that word discipline. But interestingly enough, the Greek word that was translated here as discipline in the King James Version in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, that same exact word is translated as nurtured. And so I think that, I think, shows us more of what God's heart is about his discipline. Because when you think about when we think about the word discipline or nurture, there's not necessarily a negative connotation. We think about nurturing a child up, you know, like your child needs you to survive those first. Four. Huh, I still need, but anyway, but they need. They need. They have needs. Kids have needs, and they need to be showed. Like this is, this is hot. Don't touch. You know, don't do that. You know, and so I think that's really God's heart in discipline, is it's his way of nurturing us and growing us up. It's his way of calling us to grow, to be mature in faith and in our walk. 
how we deal with people, you know, the way that we think, the way that we speak, the way that we act. He's nurturing us in that discipline, and it's good for us. It's not something that he has that is supposed to harm us. So there's always a time and place for discipline in our life. I just want to, um, I guess I should have said, my name is Tyler. Amanda said that on the announcement, so good morning to everybody. Glad that you're all here to hear my little spiel. Um, I serve uh, in the young adults here, and I serve as a host here at Refuge. Um, but I'd just like to take this time and open up in a, in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise for who you are. Father, we thank you so much for that shedding of the precious blood of Jesus on the cross. And Lord, the efficiency that it have, that it had. Lord, I pray for a revelation for all of us today that you would help us to know what that blood did for us and that identity that you have called us to, that eternal purpose that you have called us to. Father, that you have called us sons and daughters and worthy through Christ. We give you thanks and praise. Father, we pray that you'd give us attentive hearts this morning and help that word to take deep root in us to produce good fruit for your name and the advancement of people's souls, eternal destinies. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I kind of split up the message in um, a disciplined life into why, and there's some whys and hows, and then a how. And so starting in why, I think if you look at the word discipline, you find that root word disciple in there. I think it's pretty interesting because a disciple is a follower or a student of a teacher, leader, or philosopher, and their aim is to become like their teacher. So that really goes back to improving our skill. Like, we're a disciple of Jesus. So we're aiming to become like him. So just as he thinks, we think. Just as he speaks, we speak. Just as he acts, we act. His very nature growing and manifesting in us. So in 1 Corinthians eleven thirty two, it says, But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. When he disciplines us, it's to keep us in the faith, that faith of who he's made us in Christ, that identity that he paid for, that he originally gave us to walk out and live in, but Satan tried to steal that and manipulate and distort who we were and who, you know, God said that we were. Did God really say, you know, he's always trying to pervert what God says about us because he can't create anything new. He can only pervert what God has already done. So the, why a disciplined life is necessary is so that we can live that life of victory and not be found condemned with the world because sin will be judged. Any sin that's not found under the blood, and I think I need to cover that because I always wondered, why do we talk about blood so much? Blood in the Old Testament just meant it represented the life lived. So the life of the animal that was sacrificed the blood was important because it represented that blameless life that the animal lived. Well, so when I talk about the blood of Jesus, that's all I'm really saying is his blameless, absolutely sinless life that he lived before God. That's what I'm talking about when I just use that word. That's what we're washed in. That's what we're covered in is that blameless, spotless life. And so in Hebrews 12, verse 10, it says, For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for good so that we may share in holiness. 
And you see the word again. It's always pointing back that God doesn't see discipline as something that's bad for us, but it's always good. It's to nurture us. And I think it shows that it's pointing to his holiness. It's always pointing us back to letting his nature, that mercy, that forgiveness, that joy, to be fully lived out in us. That's always what it's pointing us back to. So, I mean, why live a disciplined life? So we can reap the full benefits of what he paid for. Full benefits. Because they're, they're, it's available. But there's discipline that's required because of the current of the world. It's always trying to pull you in one direction. So it's discipline just keeping the faith. Nope, that's not what the word says about me. I'm redeemed. Nope, I'm worthy. It's not because of what I've done, it's because of what he did. It's always about what he did. Because the enemy can always twist and say, well, you've stumbled. You can always just look back and say, well, you know what, it's not about what I did. It's about what he did. And you know what? He never stumbled. Not one time in the face, it says that he was tempted in every way that we have been. He never fell. So that life that he lived, that's what you're covered in when you accept his name, when you repent. That's what you accept. When I say the blood, that's what I mean. We're covered in. God sees that life lived over your life. That's what we live in, that fullness. And it's not to just give us a reason to sin, but empower us to say, no, that's not who I am. That's not the way that I was created to live. I don't, I don't desire those things anymore. It's not who I am. Another reason why Scripture, and especially Apostle Paul, but this is Hebrews, and we're not sure if Paul wrote Hebrews. Um, in Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, it says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Can you imagine that? Like he loved you so much and desired you to be with him in eternity so much. That's the joy that was set before him. So much joy in that that he would endure the cross. That he would just say, it's totally worth it. Not even going to look to the pain I'm not going to look to the humility, to the insults, to the way that people are going to treat me, because I love you. He loves you, and that's why he did that. For the joy set before him, he would endure the cross. And I just think that is awesome, that your life is infinitely more valuable to him than all of that shame that he took in enduring the cross, in going to hell for three days. Enduring all of that for us. He values you more than that. And it's just like, whoo. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. We can always look to what Jesus endured as he looked to the joy. You know, it takes an eternal perspective and mindset 
to sometimes walk through the trials that life puts in front of you. You know, because the life will, life will try to get us caught up on, well, we need to worry about this or we need to worry about that. But sometimes there's a bigger picture that we just need to take a step back and look for that joy that's set before us. You know, there's eternal lives that are at stake. All those coworkers that are around you, every day, every day, their lives are at stake. And it's like we have the opportunity to speak into their life. They've been put in our garden a life so that we can minister and sow seed and water. And in his time, he'll produce the harvest. And out of his goodness, he'll allow us to co-labor with him and reap that harvest. But it's for the joy that we do all these things. We're always looking to him. We're not trying to do this out of our own strength. We can't do it in our own strength. So he shed his blood on the cross and giving grace, paying for grace and enablement so that we can live in his strength. And that same joy that he saw to where he would just, he he despises, absolutely detests the shame of the cross because he loves you that much. And in James, moving on, to James 1.12, it says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. I mean, that crown of life, that eternal spot with him in heaven is what he died for. But there is that eternal promise that we have right now living in this life. And if we always look to, yep, I've got the joy and that hope that Jesus paid for in eternity, and you can walk your entire life with that hope, with that joy. It's always there, and it's always available. It never goes away. Forever he stands in in eternity as our defender. So look, if you could imagine like a courtroom, and you got the judge, and you got your, your attorney, and you got the opposing attorney, and he's trying to throw out all these allegations. Your attorney is Jesus Christ forever. Forever he stands before the judgment seat of God to say, nope, I died for this one. Covered. Covered. And that can never be taken away. Never. The blood is effective to take away all guilt, all condemnation, all shame. He says, that's not who you are. You are not that guilt. You are not that shame. You are not that condemnation. You are righteous. You are redeemed. You are set apart, called by his holy name. That's who you are in Christ. So when we have Christ, we have all those promises. So... To persevere, it takes discipline. I found this interesting quote from Barclay. I don't know who this is, but it was off of a a Bible website that I like to use a lot to kind of read scripture. And it said, endurance is needed to run that race. Endurance translates the ancient Greek word hupomon, which does not mean the patience which sits down and accepts things. So we're not just going through life saying, yeah, I'm content, you know. I'm good with the way that things are going. But it's the patience which masters them. It's determination. It's unhurrying yet undelaying. It's always on time. It's never rushing to get ahead of God's plan. 
and it's never dragging to stay behind it. It's right in there. It's endurance, which goes steadily on and refuses to be deflected or change course. And I really believe that you keep the mindset of that joy that was set before us. That's really what his enablement empowers us to live that disciplined life. To fight that faith, to always fight keeping that proper identity that he paid for you. That, you're, that you have value, worthy enough for the son of God to give up his own life in exchange for your life. That's how much value he sees in you. So those are some of the scriptures that I felt like were the why. Why do we need this disciplined life? I got a couple scriptures here that I really felt like they fit in why, but they also fit in the how we walk it out. And I feel like they always point back to this. I don't want us to get that mindset of just doing this discipline as a work. It's about knowing him more, not just doing more. From glory to glory, the more that you know him, the more that you do. The more that you do, the more that you know him. And it goes on and on and on. It's about knowing him more. And so in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, it says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. If you're weary and burdened, go to Jesus. Go to the point of the cross. That eternal fork in the road where humanity was going in one direction and poof, he drove that cross in and a new path was open. Go to him at the point of that cross and take that higher road. All you who are weary, for I will give you rest. It says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Why? Because it's his strength. He helps you to carry that cross. He's not asking you to do it by yourself. He wants this co-labor with you. The God of creation created everything. Everything seen and unseen before time began. He wants to co-labor with you. With you. means he does his part, you do your part to live this victorious life, this disciplined life, so that people can be saved. That we can live that life of victory that he paid for. He wants to do it with you. He's not leaving you abandoned. In 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war against the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing it into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. All those thoughts, any, here's a good way to discern if, if a thought is from God or if a thought is from the enemy. If any thought is calling you to less than the perfection of Christ's life, it's not from God. It's not from God. End of story, period. Because he didn't call us to live a less than perfect life in him. He said, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. 
so we don't have to settle. Because in our weakness, he is strong. He's always faithful. You know, and Apostle Paul would brag about his weaknesses because of the strength and the faithfulness of God through Christ. Because in Paul's weakness, Christ was strong in him. I really feel like that weakness that we have drives us into a place of humility where we can honestly look to God and say, I can't do it. I can't do this without you. Ah! And that's where he shows up on the scene. He's like, but I'm here. I'm faithful. Ah, and we're refreshed. We're revived. And we realize that we're trusting on him. We're leaning on him. We're not looking to our own understanding. We're looking to him. We're setting that joy of the cross before us like, Yes, in the bank. Cha-ching, cash that check. This is important. I really need to get through this. In, in James chapter 2, verses 21 through 24, it says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. As a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see that a man is not justified by works, is justified by works and not by faith alone. I want to try to clarify this, because I've heard different theologians like do all these arguments on justification, faith, or works, or blah, blah, blah. I really feel like James is reiterating that Let's, um, let's imagine, I got two fake plants up here. We'll say it's an orange tree. Does orange grow on a tree or a bush? Orange. There's a plant, a pot, an imagination. Use your imagination. And it's here, okay? Orange. And we got another pot. And I planted an orange seed in there, but there's nothing come up, okay? Nothing. No plant, no fruit, no evidence that there was ever a seed in there. But I put it in there, I'm telling you. By faith, you're going to have to believe me. So we got this. The seed that I planted and it grew up, and there's a plant there, and it's producing fruit. So by looking and seeing that there's fruit, it's evidence that the, fa- that the seed is alive. It's producing. And over here, by the evidence of no fruit, you would probably come to the proper conclusion that that seed died. Because it was planted the exact same time as this other plant, and it's already full-grown producing fruit. And I feel like that's what James is saying is, we can evaluate the health of our faith by the fruit that's coming out of our lives. Because he's not saying that you're justified in the works. We're not working to get to heaven. It's the blood that opened up the doors. That's the only way. End of story. But faith in that blood will always produce works. Real living faith will always produce works. And I feel like that what is in me with this is Stewardship. Like God has given us certain things to steward in our lives, those works that he wants us to do day in and day out. You know, being part of this body of believers here, it's like, I love to come here and worship with you on Sunday mornings. The fellowship with you, hang out with you, learn, worship God, hear the word preached. I love it. But I just think, man, it blesses me so much with how much time our worship team puts in and our tech booth puts in to do that. Like, it doesn't just happen. They have to, like, put that time in, that work. 
And they have lives too, and they have to set aside stuff. But their faith is there. It's genuine. You can tell because it's producing the fruit. And I just feel like as part of the body, we all have those disciplines that we need to allow our faith to produce the fruit. It's not a thing of condemnation if you look at your life and say, well, I don't see the fruit. No, don't stop there. Remember, always look to the joy. So what do you do? You don't see the fruit, what do you do? You don't say, oh, I'm not worthy of you, God. Mm -mm -mm -mm. It's not because of that. Say, I accept, I receive the blood, I receive the cleansing, I go to the cross through faith. Bam, his enablement comes. That fruit comes. Go to him first. Always go to Christ first. Don't let the devil say that you're not doing enough, you're not being enough. But I have to encourage you that as a church, there are so many things that go on. Because like, this is our training center. Just like the Packers have like all their training stuff, all their coaches, everything. They have all that stuff so that they can perfect their craft. This is like our area where we train as a body, as we get stronger. And so it's like we all got to work together to make this happen so that we can be as strong as we possibly can to go out and impact the world with the love that Jesus paid for us to have and that joy that he paid for us to have. Can I get the worship team to come on up here? And so to finish that up, the real practical life steps of how. If you go home, and I'd ask that you do this because I don't have time to read through the whole chapter, is in Matthew chapter 6, in the early, throughout the whole verse, it says, he, sa he talks about, you know, when you give, do it in secret. Don't just proclaim it from the rooftop so that in secret your Father will reward you. When you pray, don't just go out on the, on the cor street corner so that people say you, but go into that closet at quiet time. And in secret, your Father will reward you. And when you fast, don't let yourself be seen as like, oh, I'm fasting, pity me. But fast in secret, and the Father who sees you in secret will reward you in secret. I just want to encourage you, look at the order that he addresses that. Give, fast, pray. And remember the plant. A living plant always produces fruit. He's given you his life so that you can produce fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, forgiveness, mercy. That's the fruit that his spirit produces in us. By genuine faith, give. That's the first thing that he's called us to do. And so I think just like, you know, Aaron Rodgers probably, I don't even know how many footballs he's thrown in his life. Couldn't even imagine to perfect that. It's the same with us. And Jesus' first thing that he addressed is giving. And so it's like, practice those things. Practice giving in your life. And it doesn't have to be these grand, extravagant things. It's those times when we're vulnerable and genuine to God. And we say, I'm doing this for, you, for this person. It's not for anything about me. It's because I recognize and I receive the love and the mercy that you had on my life. And I extend it forth. Bam, he shows up. Whoo! Pray. If we're not daily seeking God, the current of the world can pull us away so quick, so quick, to where all of a sudden we're going to end up in this spot and we're going to be like, how did I end up here? But here's the thing. Go back to the cross. Don't 
let the enemy say that you're not worthy of going. It's not that the blood covers that. And it's not that I'm giving you, he's giving you an excuse to sin. He's saying, if you've fallen and you want a second chance, you want to be redeemed, I am here and that blood is effective for you. That life that was shed on the cross, it's effective for you. So come to me based off of faith, not by what you've done. Always go back to the cross. (coughs) Excuse me. And fast. I feel like fasting is such a underestimated, probably I even underestimate it. But the reason why we do it is because you see in scripture, it's always highlighting the the war of the spirit versus the flesh. As we understand that we're a three-part being, we're a spirit which has a soul living in a body. And so you unroll battery of your spirit and the physical body, which allows you to like walk around and you know, be part of this creation, interact with creation. So when we fast, it's a, it's a deliberate putting down of the flesh, the physical body, because that's where the sin lives. And it's spiritually and physically. I can't get into all that. But you put that down to strengthen feeding on the word. That's a spiritual discipline. So give, pray, fast. Those are those practical things that we need to be doing daily you know, to make sure that we stay strong to fight that good fight of faith so that when the enemy stands up and says, yeah, this is who you are, You're, you've failed, you're not worthy. And we say, no, that's not what he says about me. Hallelujah. And we always give him thanks and praise because it's about what he did. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, I just want to extend that opportunity this morning. If you're sitting in here and you don't know if you've received that free gift of eternal life that Jesus paid for on the cross, and you don't know if you've made him your personal Lord and Savior, and trust me, the word, the word says that unless a man be born again, you cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And you know if you are born again, guaranteed, you know. So if you have not made that decision today, I just ask that you'd slip up your hand. I'd like to pray with you and offer you a chance to receive him this morning. Okay. So I'm going to pray a prayer over you. I didn't see any hands this morning, but I just want you to receive this. I'm just going to pray over you guys. Father, I thank you so much for the effectiveness and the eternal power of your word. Father, that it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And Father, that as it was sown out of faith this morning, I pray that by your spirit you would go and protect it. Protect that seed. Father, that you would raise up faithful laborers to water that seed so that we can grow into the fullness that you have called us to. Father, everyone under the sound of my voice, I just speak blessing and I plead that precious blood, that innocent life of Jesus over this congregation. Father, that we would know that hope and joy of your calling, that eternal value that you have put on us. And that's that eternal value that you spoke to on that day when you despised that shame and said, no, you are worthy. I'm going to the cross anyway. Father, we give you all the glory and all the praise. At Refuge, we believe all people matter to God. Thank you so much for listening. If you would like to connect further with Refuge, feel free to go online to wearerefuge.net or on social media at wearerefuge.